Welcome to the CCM Deep Dive Podcast as we go song by song and story by story through some of Christian music's most influential albums with the artists who created them. It's time to grab your coffee and settle in. Let's go. Speaking of nicest humans on the planet, bam! <laughs> That's lead guitarist Gordon Kennedy. Come back, Mark. Come back. How the heck are you? Did I dress up too much? <laughs> oh man, <laughs> you children! Gosh, this is the quietest I have ever seen Rick. <laughs> I'm already looking forward to this interview. <laughs> It looks like he's in the dentist chair waiting on the drilling. It does. There ain't nothing happening yet. <laughs> That's why he's quiet. He's he's he doesn't know he's with us. <laughs> That's right. I'm, I'm just I'm being a I'm being a horse's hind end now. Come on, we're all good now. Everything's just fine. There we go. That's the Rick I know. Yep. These guys have been friends for close to forty years, and it shows. But before we get into the making of Whitehart's sixth album, Freedom, we need to go back to their beginning, and actually, even before that. On March 25th in 1936, Bill Gaither was born in Alexandria, Indiana. Not that far back. Not quite anyway. The Gaithers, Bill and his wife Gloria, were named Songwriters of the Century by ASCAP for the over 700 songs they added to the modern hymnals, beginning with He Touched Me back in 1964. And it was out of their growing music ministry of the 1970s and 80s that Whiteheart was born. The collection of studio musicians that became Whiteheart, along with many others, was the backing band for Bill and Gloria for all of their different recording projects and live shows. Yeah, even the Gaither Trio. Keyboardist Mark Gershmel. And so five or six original members were in, and, and Sandy Patty was singing at the band at the same time. Carmen was giving guest appearances. Amy gave a guest appearances. I mean, the, one of the things that I admire so much about Bill Gaither is, first of all, their writing is spectacular. and um, But also... They are the real deal. They are servants. That is why they're out there. And and for a guy who uh, could feel competitive about some of the talent that he had in his band, because, I mean, let's face it, Sandy Patty can sing. Um, you know, there are a lot of – Dan Huff could play guitar. You know, there are a lot of people in the band that could really, really flat out get it. And he just helped them move on to what they were supposed to do. He never, ever – he benefited by having players like that in his band, but there was never this competition. In fact, it was the opposite. He helped these people. I mean, it's legendary how many people he has started on the path of their careers. And Mark's right. The list of artists that either got their start or were championed because of the Gaithers is a who's who of contemporary Christian music. Names like Mark Lowry, Michael W. Smith, Carmen, Sandy Patty, Amy Grant, Larnell Harris, Buddy Mullins, David Phelps, and Russ Taff. In fact, 10 of the top 15 albums, according to Billboard magazine in 1989, were at one time from artists associated with the Gaithers at one point in their careers. 
we basically ended up just finding some late night sessions, you know, when we had played on other sessions in when, when some of us had been moved to Nashville and, uh, and we'd be working (laughs) till like six in the morning after we'd played, we got free time in somebody's studio and we'd stumble over to Dunkin' Donuts. It's like, well, what did we just do? (laughs) And out of that was born the first part of Whiteheart. And uh, Steve Green was the original singer who was an astonishing singer and a great human being. And uh, he eventually found where he needed to be, but you know, it was just wonderful to have that kind of talent. And then Gordon comes along. Are you kidding? I mean, to, (laughs) to have him in the band who is the, you know, consummate writer, artist, player, you know, all those things together. And to have that now as part of what we did, I mean, we were blessed. So to jump back just a bit, Steve Green was the original lead singer for Whiteheart. You can hear him on their self-titled debut album that came out in 1982, but he left shortly after as he really wanted to record adult contemporary music rather than fronting a Christian rock band. Rick Florian was actually the third lead singer and did not officially join the band until their fourth studio album, Don't Wait for the Movie. The Huff Brothers, Dan on guitar and David on drums, were around for a few albums before they left to do session work. Dan was replaced by Gordon by the time the third album, Hotline, was recorded, and Chris McHugh, like Rick, joined the band for Don't Wait for the Movie. Tommy Sims replaced Gary Lunn on bass just before Emergency Broadcast, up to that point the band's fifth and most commercially successful album. But in those early jam sessions on stage after soundcheck with the Gaithers, it's really where the Whiteheart sound started. When the band wasn't in the studio recording Gaither songs or practicing for live events, they would carve out some time to do their own stuff. And sometimes those sessions would get a little bit ruckus. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, it's so funny because we would set up for sound check and we'd be in these massive arenas, which, of course, people that like rock and roll, boy, can you find a better place to play? And so we would be in the round and we'd, do, we, we'd you know, run through The King is Coming and you know, all the Gaither, he touched me and then they'd leave. And then we would just turn up. <laughs> and so during sound check, it, it got a little louder after they went to their dressing room. So it was it was really fun to play. So we 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 play for our some of our stuff for like twenty minutes, and then you know and that's really the gestation point for a lot of those things. Is there you know these players that were in this band and uh, the singers and and then Rick coming in. My gosh, you know they're just capable of so much. You know it's. I mean, it's hard to pigeonhole people in one direction when they have that much music inside their system. The culmination of that talent coming out of the Gaither Network led to their first recording contract with Home Sweet Home Records, which released her self-titled debut album in 1982, followed by Vital Signs, which included We Are His Hands, their first number one single. After the release of their third album, Hotline, Whiteheart switched to Sparrow Records and released Don't Wait for the Movie, which included their second number one single, Maybe Today. By the time they released Emergency Broadcast two years later, the band realized they needed a change in their approach. Emergency Broadcast was the album before Freedom. And in Daryl Harris always said, in some ways, it it was an emergency broadcast, um, uh, our good friend Daryl Harris. But it was because we had been in Australia and for, what, two and a half, three weeks, which is always wonderful because the Australian people are amazing and, and such great fans and friends. And But we came back exhausted. 
And it kind of had not marshaled all the forces together where we were, we were all going to produce it uh, as a team, which is, you know, there's so much talent. I mean, I mean, I'm so blessed to have been with these guys, but, but there was so much talent. Uh, and, but we all had to, we're all doing our own thing and we're all exhausted. And it came out astonishingly well. I, that, that's the hand of the Lord on all that. But as we had finished that project, we felt like, you know what, we need a great and setting hand. So we don't have that responsibility for each and every one of us to be marshalling our own parts and then corralling it all together. Because truly, uh, and I can say this very humbly, because I'm talking about the people that were in the band. They're just enormously talented. And there are many shades of right. And you needed a you needed someone like a brown banister who is a consummate listener. And and just a great person, a great friend, which is what a great producer can often be, and that he would be there for us all to say what we felt. And we, he could say, you know what, Gersh, that I like that idea. But Gordon, I really like what he's where this was heading. And I think we're going to go in that direction. And I could feel great about it because it was a great direction and because he put his stamp of approval on it. The only thing I would say different about emergency broadcast, Mark, is that that one always felt to me like we were answering the bell or meeting a deadline compared to freedom. Um, yeah. A- amen. Yeah, and you're right. And the reason is because we were on the Australian bus for over two weeks with the, uh, I'm sure there were the fixed armrests between the seats <laughs> traveling overnight. So you couldn't even lay down on, uh, you know, half the spread out on the two seats. Mm, yeah. I remember Mark Merchant sleeping in the overhead bin, our sound guy. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. We had to help him get out. <laughs> yeah. He could um, move us in one direction or another without having to eye roll. <laughs> um, Lead singer, Rick Florian. And, you know, at least there was like a, even if he felt it, he never would do it. Um, some of it, he was just like Mark said, he's a professional, but he had the demeanor of handling a whole bunch of humans with a lot of different thoughts or in my case, lack of thought. <laughs> and there were just, it, it was a, it was a wonderful, uh, it, it was just a wonderful combo. Tommy Sims cut his producing teeth with Whitehart's emergency broadcast, but for him, meeting Brown Bannister carried extra weight. Brown, for me, was, you know, it was like one of the first opportunities I had to work with a, with an actual childhood hero. Um, I think for the band, it really turned out to be fortuitous because we had we were coming off of a record that we'd self-produced which I saw as the two ends of, of an exercise in that particular group. Uh, you know, I felt like, you know, we were trying to get to the bottom of uh, the well, you know, mm-hmm. if you will, and figure out what, what we were really capable of. And with the, with the record that we self-produced, it was like, uh, I don't know, it was like throwing paint against the wall and, and hoping it, it forms something interesting, you know, uh, and and the record with Brown was more like, you know, painting with Picasso. Mm. In in both cases, I felt like we gave the best we had. Uh, we just left to our own devices. We weren't able 
to see the things that you see when you step outside of yourself. And Brown was, you know, for one thing, Brown was the hottest and most successful producer in, in CCM and becoming so even in pop music, you know. And so for us, that was a huge boost to our fortune. Amen. Brown has earned 25 Dove Awards and 14 Grammys for his work in contemporary Christian music, including 12 albums of the year. He is a five-time Gospel Music Association Producer of the Year, and as a side note, he's also the father to Christian recording artist Ellie Holcomb. I would say Brown's default setting is automatic diplomatic. Oh, that's great. He, he, just, <laughs> had, he, had a, he just had a very tender way of saying something was horrible. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if, if, if it was not working, it, yeah. he would um, he would just have the best way of conveying that. Brown has no ego. That was the most eye-opening thing going into it with, with him on that record. Several of us were just getting to know Brown for the first time. And uh, what struck me is that you couldn't get any higher than Brown Bannister. Here's the guy who's at the absolute top of his mountain just had zero of, of any of the things that you would expect from one of the top producers in, in the world. With Brown at the helm in the recording studio, Freedom became Whitehart's most commercially and critically successful album, producing two number one singles and peaking at number two on Billboard's top inspirational albums for 1989. Interestingly, despite being loaded with all of that talent between both Brown and the band, Whiteheart has never won a Grammy Award or a Dove, despite the 24 nominations. So how did that happen? I don't know. <laughs> but, but the greatest compliment that we ever had it was, was our, our um, faithful friends and fans of the band that would show up over and over again. And they would kindly vote us best band to see live, you know, all the time in readers polls and things like that. But, but the, the, you know, I, um, it's just a sacred connection with those people, you know, and, and uh, my wife, Bryn always says, yes, you guys were extraordinarily talented, but you were anointed by the Lord for that period of time. And I, that's a very uh, humbling thing that, but she was an outside observer to all that. And, and I, I do feel like just the collecting of the talent. And frankly, why do people like Rick so much? He's, he is that he's a servant on stage that can sing like a madman. It's, it's amazing. And so that is the greatest privilege. And I, I, you know, all the other stuff, you know, when, when we still, and we still get many of them get letters saying I was at such and such a concert, or I had a need then, or there's somebody now who's, going through a really, really tough time with his mother passing away. And the fact that we still have this connection and they still want to text us about this. This is, this is, this is why it all happened in the beginning. As much as music is a wonderful thing, that that's the greatest thing that we could have ever done to have the opportunity and privilege of being able to serve God's people in song. Hmm. Over the course of the next few months, we are going to be taking a deep dive into the songs from the Freedom album with stories from the guys who are there. So join us next week as we dive into the opening track, Bye Bye Babylon. Bye Bye Babylon.